Well, what I'd like to do this morning is read a story from the book of Acts. It's from chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. I put most of those verses in the bulletin in our program this morning, so you can follow along there. Otherwise, we're going to put all the verses up here. Um, And this is actually a story about one of those bold and courageous followers of of Jesus that, that Ed was talking about. This is a story about Peter. So let's read this. Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And his chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. And from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what became of Peter. So what I'd like to do is, is uh, I'd kind of like to do a Bible study with you guys here. I'd like to walk through this story verse by verse, and let's see together what it has to say to us this morning. And I think in all fairness, the first thing that you should know about the story is that there are some Bible scholars that think that, that this didn't really happen, or that it did happen, but that the the events were exaggerated, and that what we have here is 
Well, actually, this is what one scholar wrote. He said, we have a kernel of fact around which the filaments of fiction have been affectionately woven. And Bible scholars say this because, well, this is an improbable story. How could this have happened? How could Peter have pulled off this great escape? Well, here's what I think. I think life is filled with great escapes that are so improbable, so impossible that they couldn't have happened, but they did. A sick man gets a diagnosis that, so far as the medical profession is concerned, condemns him to death. Yet somehow, his conditions improve. He beats the odds. He regains his health. It happens. An alcoholic that everyone has given up on somehow hears a voice that turns him around and changes his life. People caught in situations like an animal in a trap from which there is no escape, they suddenly, unexplainably break free. Just because... You can't explain something doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because a story is improbable doesn't mean that it didn't happen. So Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he begins this story by saying, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval from the Jews, in other words, when, when he saw that his public opinion polls were up, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So Herod killed James, and now he's going to kill Peter too. And Luke says in verse 3, and, and Luke loves to do this. Just this uh, kind of a little throwaway remark, kind of an aside He says, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. All this jailing and killing and persecution and repression, it all happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Now, what is the festival of unleavened bread? Well, that's the celebration of Passover. That's when the Jews remembered and celebrated their liberation from slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh tried to repress and persecute God's people, but they escaped and they were set free. And so now, what are the Jewish people themselves doing during the festival of unleavened bread? They're doing the same thing that was done to them back in Egypt. They are repressing and persecuting and killing God's own people. They're acting just like the Pharaoh did. Luke just wants to make sure that That we don't miss the irony of the situation. Okay, back to verse 2. Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Herod's going to kill him too. So there's there's Peter in jail. And, And notice the lengths to which Luke goes to describe how he's in jail. Luke goes on and on, verse after verse, describing the details of Peter's imprisonment. As if to say, Peter's not just in jail, he's 
really in jail. You, know, you got these iron bars and, and, and he's in chains, but not just one chain. He's got two chains. You got four squads of soldiers. You got soldiers on the outside of the jail cell and you got soldiers on the inside of the jail cell. This isn't some uh, minimum security facility with conjugal visits and Wi-Fi and you get to go home on the weekends. This is the big house. Maximum security. And Peter's as good as dead. Old Herod's going to bring him out in the morning, wrapped in chains, and he's going to kill him. But suddenly in verse 7, an angel appears in the cell. And it says, the angel smacks Peter on the side and says, quick, get up. Put on your clothes and sandals. And, and I just have this image of, of Peter hopping around on one foot in the darkness in his, sail, trying to, in his cell trying to put his sandals on. And Luke says the angel just leads Peter out of the cell. Past the centuries, out of the prison, onto the street. And not only do some Bible scholars not believe this happened, Peter doesn't believe that it's happening. Verse 9 says that Peter didn't think that what was happening with the angel was real. He thought he was hallucinating, seeing a vision. And, and this is kind of a funny scene here. I want you to imagine this. There's Peter walking out of his cell with the angel past the sentries, down the hall, up into the courtyard, out into the street. And all the while he's, he's looking around and he's smiling and nodding his head and, and he's thinking, this isn't happening. This isn't real. I'm just dreaming. At some point, I'm going to wake up. Now you'd think that Christians, Christ followers, of all people, would be looking for and expecting God to act in their lives in wonderful ways, in surprising ways, in supernatural ways. But oftentimes... Christians are the last ones to believe it when it happens. Several years ago, a Christian psychologist named Morton Kelsey did this uh, big survey of Protestant church people in America. And he discovered some, I think, some interesting things, such as more than half of the people surveyed reported having life-changing, unexplainable, supernatural experiences with God. One of those experiences where it's like, it's like you, you touch the hem of heaven. And more than half of these nice church-going folks had life-changing, mystical, spiritual experiences. When questioned further, the majority of those people had never ever told anybody about it. And when questioned further still about what setting they would feel free to talk about this experience, Kelsey discovered that the last place they talk about this experience would be... Can you guess? Oh, you guys. Okay, let me just pause and just... I like that. You knew what I was going to say. 
It was the church. It was the church. Can you guess why? Well, because people would think they were crazy. The church is last on the list. Now, that's us, by the way. We're right behind hairdressers, health clubs, and karaoke bars. First on the list, if you're interested, was a psychiatrist's office and hospitals. Which is one of the things that, you know, when I get done laughing about this, it kind of makes me want to cry. Because we have so tamed our faith. We have actually turned the wine back into water. Our God has become so safe. There's no room for surprises. We want nice, tidy answers, not mysteries and, and unexplained miracles. Church is the last place people would go to talk about their mystical, supernatural, spiritual experiences. Paul is having a supernatural experience. And even he doesn't believe it. So Peter walks out of the prison, down the street, then down another street. And the Bible says in verse 11 that then Peter came to himself. And he said, well, what do you know? I wasn't dreaming after all. It's real. It really happened. So he runs down the road to Mary's house. Now, in those days, they didn't have church buildings as, as we know them. In those days, the, the church met in people's homes. So the church is meeting in Mary's house. And Luke tells us that they're praying. A prayer meeting is going on. And what do you think is on the prayer list for that night? What said earlier in the story that they were praying for, for Peter. Has anybody ever been to Jerusalem? Me neither. But if we went there and we visited the old section of the city, we would see the, the crumbled remains of these ancient homes and that they, they all had outside gates. And typically, the home had three parts, three basic parts. You had the house, and then there was the courtyard, and around the courtyard was this, this wall, and in the wall was a gate. So when you visit one of these New Testament homes, you come first to the gate, an iron gate. And you would knock on it or you would ring some kind of bell or you would yell. And and somebody, usually a servant, came from the house. They walked across the courtyard and then they, if they recognized you, they would open up the gate and let you in. It's pretty simple. So the Bible says in verse 13 that Peter came to this gate, the outer entrance to Mary's home. He, He must have known Somebody was there. Maybe he could see the glow of candles in the windows in the house. And he started banging on the gate. And he started rattling the door and maybe yelling out. He said, hey, it's me, Peter, let me in. And this little servant girl, this maid, Rhoda, she comes out. She's carrying a lamp. She wants to see who's making all this racket. Who's knocking at the gate at this hour? And when she recognized who it was that was standing there, The Bible says that she was so overjoyed that she turned around and ran back into the house without opening the gate. And you can imagine Peter going, wait, let me in first. Open the gate. Rhoda runs breathless into the living room where the little house church is assembled and they're praying, Lord, 
If it be thy will, please release Peter from jail. And if it's not thy will, well, help us to accept whatever happens. You know, one of those kinds of prayers where you really want something to happen, but you don't really think it's going to happen. Do you ever pray like that? You ask for something, but even as you speak the words, you're thinking, this isn't going to happen. I think a lot of people don't expect a situation to change because they're praying about it. Any more than they'd expect to see a, a red light turn green just because they asked it to. They do not believe that prayer changes things. So the church is praying. And Rhoda stands breathless in the doorway and she says, Peter is at the door. And I imagine the pastor, he looks up from his prayers and he says, Uh, excuse me, I'm praying here. We're praying here. Do you mind? And the Bible says Peter keeps banging at the gate and Rhoda keeps insisting that it's Peter standing at the gate and nobody will believe her. You're out of your mind, they say. You're crazy. Now, I want to make sure that we get this straight. Here's the church praying for Peter's release. And when their prayers are answered, when Peter is released in an improbable, unexplainable way, the very people who prayed for the miracle refuse to believe it. Finally, Rhoda opens the gate. Peter comes in, stands among them. And, and Luke ends the story in verse 18 with this great sentence in the morning. There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what became of Peter. I want to ask you if, as you hear this story again, if you recognize a similarity, kind of an echo of another story from the Gospels, another man, his body is locked in a cell, in a tomb, a big stone is rolled up against the door and, the, and there's these soldiers standing there guarding the door and a woman makes the discovery that he's not there anymore. He's escaped somehow and she goes running back to the church all breathless and excited and saying, he's loose, he's free. I've seen him. He's broken out of the prison of death. And what's the church's reaction to this? They don't believe it. They say, you're crazy. You're seeing things. The story of Peter's jailbreak is very similar to the story of Easter, especially in this detail. The last people to believe in miracles, the last people to expect God to act in human affairs are oftentimes church people. So no wonder the church is the last place where people would go to talk about their life-changing supernatural experiences. One of the things I do sometimes when I'm, I'm uh, studying the Bible is I've got this little notebook and I've got it open and uh, I'll just write down some questions. I mean, any, any kind of questions that pop into my head as I'm reading, I'll just write them down. And one question I wrote down as I was reading this story is this. When this story was first told, who would have laughed at it? Who would have gotten a big kick out of this story of how Peter escaped from Herod's dungeon? 
probably people who have done a little time in jail or who know someone or have a loved one that's in jail. They would have enjoyed the story of how Peter escaped from Herod's dungeon. I think it's, I think it's the marginalized people in society who are always getting pushed around by the King Herods of the world, you know, the, like the maids and the servants and the, and the people who do the dishes and empty the bedpans and sock the shelves. I think, I think maybe they would have laughed at this story of how one night God put one over on old King Herod and his soldiers. And then another question I wrote down, who wouldn't have laughed at this story? Well, maybe people who run jails, I suppose, wouldn't think this is very funny. And years ago, a friend of mine did an internship in a, a church in New York. And a member of that church that he became friends with was the business manager at the state maximum security prison in Ossining, New York. Or as many people know it, as Sing Sing. I'll bet that guy wouldn't think this story about Peter's jailbreak was very funny. If people in power probably wouldn't find this story so funny. Kings don't usually laugh much. When a totalitarian government takes over, the first people to go to jail are oftentimes the, the comedians, the people who poke fun at authority. Kings can't stand to be laughed at. And the church, I think, wouldn't have laughed at this story. You know, this story kind of pokes fun at the church, at us. We're the people who pray, and yet we're the last to believe in prayer. We're the ones who ask God for miracles, but we don't believe them when they happen. Peter's standing at the gate, Rhoda says. And we say, shh, can't you see we're praying? So stop and think for a moment now. What's the greatest challenge or concern that's facing you today? What problems have got you wrapped in chains? What issues have you locked up in a dungeon from which there is seemingly no escape? An out-of-control child? A tyrannical boss who's making your life miserable? Health issues for you or, or for someone that you love? Feelings of hatred or jealousy? A malignant marriage? Financial ruin? Loneliness? You know, whatever it is. Have you prayed about it? Do you believe that there is a God who wants what's best for you? Who loves you like you would or like you could love your children? And who can and who does intervene in human affairs? Whatever has got you locked up, I want you to pray about it. Pray hard. Pray often. Expect God to act. Believe that God can set you free. God rolled away stones and raised what's dead. He frees people from prison. It's his specialty. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, help us to believe. Help us to trust in you. Forgive us for our unbelief. And right now, Lord, in the quietness of all of our hearts, we offer to you those cares and concerns that weigh us down, that keep us awake at night. Even those ones that we have held on to quietly, deep down inside of us, and maybe haven't shared with one single person, maybe not even you. I pray that we can lay those down in front of you. And in our own way, in our own words, with our own hearts, to ask you to intervene in our lives. Help us to believe. Thank you. Amen.